This podcast contains our own personal views not associated with any organisation. Coronial contains descriptions of death inquests that may be graphic and disturbing to some listeners. Discretion is advised. Welcome back to Coronial. I'm Alice. I'm Georgie. And I'm Emma. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking to you guys about the non-inquest findings into the deaths of Mia Aleph Chung and Thomas Jackson, who were backpackers staying in a hostel in Home Hill in Queensland in August 2016, when they were both stabbed by Smail Ayad. So Ayad is a French national who entered Australia in November 2015 on a working visa. He worked in Home Hill initially, and then he went across to Western Australia and worked there for a bit, and then went back to Home Hill to work there again. And sorry, how long had Ayad been in Australia for with that trouble in between? Um, so he entered Australia in November 2015, and then this incident occurred in August 2016. Okay. So it's sort of been in Australia for almost a year on a working visa. Mia and Thomas were both from the UK and arrived in Australia on the same day, coincidentally, but they were actually unknown to each other before both staying at this hostel in Home Hill. So yeah, it was just a coincidence that they're both from the UK, arrived in Australia on the same day, and just happened to be working in the area and staying in the same hostel. So Thomas and Ayad became acquainted with each other before the incident in August 2016, when they were both staying at the hostel, and from all accounts, they were casual acquaintances. They'd met and had a chat, but they weren't super close. A hostel lifestyle. The, yeah, you're coming across various people all living in the same place, you know, chatting occasionally, that kind of stuff, hanging out occasionally. But yeah. Yeah. And that's often the sort of culture of those backpackers, hostels that everyone sort of chats with everyone else. Like you're all there from overseas to see what Australia's like and work in Australia. So. Mm-hmm. They've all got sort of the, that common ground of being an international traveller and working in Australia. Mia arrived in Home Hill on the 16th of August 2016 with a fellow UK national, Christopher, who she had met on the Gold Coast. So Mia and Christopher were assigned to room 2L in the hostel, which was the same room as Ayad. Ayad had previously requested that no one else be assigned to his room because before they arrived, he had had the room to himself. And so he had asked the hostel staff, can you just not assign anyone else to my room? But they ended up assigning Mia and Christopher to this room. It would definitely depend on the hostel's capacity, right? If they've got no one yeah. else, they're not going to decline guests. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Christopher didn't note any issues with Ayad, but said that he kept to himself and lacked his privacy. Mia did have some concerns with Ayad, stating that he seemed weird and had locked them out of the room on multiple occasions. Yeah, well, um, I was hoping that they would just demand a new room and then... Yeah, and be, and be moved and he could have yeah. his space back. So it seems that when Mia arrived at the hostel, Ayad became focused on her and other backpackers who were staying there said that he had made comments that he was interested in her. So Home Hill is a town southeast of Townsville in Queensland and is a mainly agricultural area. There were a large proportion of international backpackers who worked in the town and that's something that's quite common or it used to be 
for overseas backpackers to come to Australia and do things like fruit picking and like farm work and that sort of thing. And often they'd be in remote regional towns doing that sort of thing. So definitely was very common for international backpackers to be in these towns. So there was an incident on the 16th of July 2016 involving Ayad and two other backpackers who were staying at the hostel. Ayad was angry about another backpacker apparently stealing his jacket. The argument ended up escalating to a fist fight. The hostel staff were alerted and police link was called. Once all the individuals were separated, they all calmed down. Interestingly, the other two backpackers who were involved were asked to leave the hostel, but Ayad was not asked to leave because apparently he seemed quite calm during the incident. There was a little bit of concern that there was a knife involved in this fight because apparently Ayad was yelling in French something to do with, oh, if I get my knife, I'm going to stab you or, you know, if you come to France, I'm going to kill you. But it was never determined that he actually had a knife at that point. Okay. Like, I think the police attended and they were satisfied that there was no harm to anyone. There was no reason to believe he actually had a knife. Okay. So that was just one of the things that was brought up as one of the concerns for the coroner to investigate. That, yep. you know, was there a previous altercation with anyone else and did it involve a knife? But they, they decided that no, it wasn't. Um, I did find it quite interesting that he wasn't asked to leave the hostel, but it seems like he'd become friends with uh, some of the staff at the hostel because he'd stayed there when he first got to Australia and then was back there after being in Western Australia. Apparently, the staff all said that you know he was one of the good ones. He was generally quiet and calm and didn't make any trouble. And this was the first incident that he'd been involved in prior at the hostel. The incident in July was the only one in which he was seen to be aggressive or confrontational. The rest of the time, he was laid back and didn't make any trouble. So there was an informal arrangement in place between the hostel and at least one of the farms in the area. So when the farm needed workers, they would contact the hostel and tell them the number of workers that they needed. And then the hostel would arrange like transport for those workers. So these sort of informal arrangements, it seems, were quite common in that it meant that the farms could get workers and it means that the hostel could have employment for the people staying with them so that, that way they can obviously earn money to keep staying at the backpackers. So it was beneficial for both the farm and the hostel for there to be people, backpackers, staying with them and working on those farms. On the 22nd of August 2016, Ayad didn't attend work and he sent a very lengthy SMS to his employer saying that he could no longer work there. That night, he told two people that he wanted to leave Home Hill and had planned to leave the next day. And sorry, his employer was at a farm, as you said before? Yeah, yeah, it was a farm. Yep. So the next day, the 23rd of August, Ayad seemed sad, anxious and paranoid at about 5.30 p.m., he went to the main office and talked to the owner slash manager about checking out. With the help of another French backpacker to help translate, it was established that he wanted to check out of the hostel but still stay working at the nearby farm. This is after sending that SMS to his employer that he didn't want to work there anymore. However, because of the arrangement between the hostel and the farm, it wasn't possible for him to check out of the hostel and still stay working at the farm. 
And so because of that, he said, okay, well, I don't want to check out. I'll stay. And then, sorry, from that, like, is there an implication that his English language skills are inadequate to have communicated that because he needed someone to help translate? Well, I think he was, he would have had a, a reasonable ability to speak English. I think it was just that when they were trying to explain the whole part about, no, you can't leave and still keep working there. I think the sort of complexities of that arrangement, because initially he said, okay, I want to check out. And then, then they were sort of talking about that. And then he's like, okay, no, now I want to stay. And so they just wanted to get clarity on, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to check out or do you not want to check out? And he ended up saying, okay, no, I'll stay. Okay. So that night, Mia was out at a nearby pub with a number of other backpackers and they seemed to be having a good time. They were just out at the pub, having a few drinks, having a chat. And then she then went back to the hostel, I assume, with the other backpackers. Uh, sometime between 10.45 and 11pm, Ayad was sitting outside the kitchen and started shouting, but he was on his own at this point. So he was sort of yelling to himself. Another backpacker and the night manager went to check on him because, you know, they wanted to see what was going on. And he said, oh, no, I'm okay. And he went back to his room. He'd sort of calmed down. And the rest of what happened is taken from both CCTV footage and also eyewitness testimony as well. So at 11.06 p.m., Ayad re-entered his room. And then a minute later, he exited the room onto the balcony. So I'm not sure whether there were two doors to the room, but one of the doors or the door to the room went onto a balcony. So you'd sort of walk along the balcony and get you can have entrance into multiple rooms. So he exited the room onto the balcony. He was holding Mia in front of him with his right arm around her neck. And he was also holding a knife in his right hand, which was then placed near her neck. Just had her in a a headlock, holding a knife with the arm he was holding. Mm -hmm. And Mia presumably was in the room when he'd walked in there to enter? Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I assume she was already in the room. Yep. And then he went in there and and pulled her out. Okay. Um, So he was forcing Mia out of the room while shouting. And I don't think it's established what exactly he was shouting because potentially he was yelling in French. And okay. there weren't any other French people around to sort of translate what he was saying. At 11.08pm, so two minutes after he exited the room onto the balcony, the night manager, who had seen him just before, went to the far end of the balcony and started walking towards the two of them. At the same time, a backpacker in an adjacent room looked out the doorway and saw what was going on, and he pleaded with Ayad to put the knife down. So we've got Ayad and Mia on the balcony, and you've got two people seeing the situation and sort of walking towards them or starting to talk to them, saying, you know, stop what you're doing. Ayad then moved his hand and cut Mia on the left side of her head, causing her to fall to the ground. He then stabbed her multiple times in the upper body while she tried to defend herself. The night manager tried to protect Mia and to stop Ayad from stabbing her, but he was unable to because of the knife, and he himself was actually stabbed in the right leg while trying to stop the attack. Um, After 10 seconds of this frenzied knife attack, Ayad stood up and backed away from Mia, 
which gave me the chance to get up and run away. She went to the end of the corridor to a bathroom and she locked herself in a cubicle in that bathroom. So this all happened really quickly. Like within the space of three minutes, he had taken her out of the room with a knife to her throat and then started stabbing her and then she'd run away. And all seemingly unprompted. Yes. Yeah, this didn't seem to have been triggered by anything in particular. Ayad then launched himself off the balcony, head first and arms extended, and landed on his back. What height was he on? I think it was the second floor. So not super high, but also it's still a little bit of a fall. Okay. To, yeah, have launched yourself off. Yeah, right. The second story. Okay, I have so many questions here. But yeah. <laughs> was there any reasoning? Was he trying to escape someone? Was someone running after him? Or he just jumped? Seemingly he just jumped, but yeah, we'll sort of get to the reasons why this all happened. Okay. So Thomas, who I mentioned before, and one other backpacker assisted Ayad from the ground, and they were seemingly unaware of what just happened on the balcony. Because the balcony situation happened so quickly... I don't think people on the ground necessarily knew what was happening. So when they saw someone falling from a balcony, they obviously went to help. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the backpacker who had witnessed the attack up on the balcony, the one who had asked Ayad to put the knife down, he went to find Mia and he found her in that bathroom. He ran outside and yelled that Mia had been stabbed and was in the toilet. So at that point, Thomas left Ayad downstairs and went upstairs to go and help. And Mia and Thomas knew each other, sorry? Uh, no. No. Like okay. only only in the context of they were both staying at the same hostel. Yeah. Like potentially they were friendly and had sort of gotten to know each other at the hostel, but otherwise they weren't, weren't known to each other. Yep. At 11.10pm, Thomas and this witness who had found her in the bathroom went into the bathroom to try and help her because they knew that she'd been stabbed. They closed the main door behind them and the witness climbed over the cubicle wall and opened the cubicle from the inside so that they could sort of take her out. He saw a deep wound to her chest and stomach and kept pressure on her wounds, you know, waiting for the ambulance to arrive. But the implication being that she's so unwell she couldn't even unlock that door. I'm I mean- not sure whether she was conscious at that point, because she had been stabbed multiple times. Okay. During this time, Ed went from the ground back up onto the balcony, and he was pacing along the balcony, shouting and gesturing while still holding the knife. So he was still armed at that point. And not seemingly injured from his fall yeah. over the balcony. No, or definitely jump. not. Yeah. Okay. Gosh. Yeah. At 11.14pm, so four minutes after... Thomas and the witness had gone into the bathroom to help Mia. Thomas opened the door that led from the bathroom to the balcony and he looked outside. And it's not really known whether that was because he wanted to make sure there wasn't any more danger or whether he was looking to see whether the police or the ambulance had arrived yet, but poked his head out of the door to see what was going on. Ayad was unfortunately still close by at that point because he'd come back up to the balcony and he noticed Thomas opening the door and looking out. Thomas spoke to Ayad and it was something to the effect of, calm down, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? 
He then backed away from the door and attempted to close the bathroom door behind him. However, Ayad followed him, kicked open the bathroom door, and then entered the bathroom. And at this point, we've got the witness who's trying to keep pressure on Mia's wounds, and we've got Thomas who's in the room as well. So Ayad started attacking Thomas with the knife, presumably triggered by the fact that Thomas had just talked to him, asking him what was going on. While they struggled, the witness took the opportunity to exit the room and get more help. He stood on the balcony and screamed for help, but unfortunately none, no one heard him or you know, I think the hostel at this point was in chaos because you've got people yelling, someone's been stabbed, you've got someone running around with a knife, and it's all happening so quickly as well. Like, this has all happened within 15 minutes. So at 11.16pm, a Queensland Ambulance Service QAS paramedic, who was the relieving officer in charge of the Home Hill Ambulance Station, got a call from the Central Communications Centre telling her she needed to attend the hostel due to a stabbing. And the police obviously were also called as well, and they were on site at the hostel by 11.20pm. So it was a very quick response mm-hmm. by both the police and the ambulance. So when the police arrived, Ayad was standing on the balcony, shouting in French. The police officers gave verbal commands for him to lie on the ground, which he did do. They then approached him via the stairs up to the balcony. So when they were talking to him, telling him to lie on the ground, they were on the ground floor. And when he did, that's when they started approaching him via the stairs. But as they got to the top of the stairs onto the balcony, Ayad stood up and started moving away from them. So one of the police officers yelled at him to get back on the ground, but instead he went into one of the backpacker rooms that were off this balcony. The police officers then drew their tasers because he's obviously not complying with what they're saying, and he has a knife. Zayed then came out of the room and came towards the officers, who both yelled at him to get on the ground or he would be tasered. He then complied and lay on the ground, and he was handcuffed at 11.22pm. So I guess that also gives context to he knew enough English that he was able to understand the police officers and was able to comply with their directions eventually. Some of the time. Yeah. So one of the police officers entered the bathroom and came across Mia and Thomas. That officer stayed with the two injured backpackers for a short period, but they ended up having to go back out to the balcony because they needed to help restrain Ayad because he was starting to struggle with the officer who had handcuffed him. And Sorry, was the witness still in the bathroom with... No, the witness had exited. Like, as soon as Ayad started stabbing Thomas... The witness left and went to find help. Yeah. Uh, So at 11.25pm, the paramedic arrived on scene and she was confronted by many backpackers who were yelling at her to hurry up. But this was as she was trying to get equipment from the ambulance. So sort of as soon as she turned up in the ambulance, like there were people outside yelling at her, what are you doing? Hurry up. Just flocked. Yeah. and But she's there trying to get the equipment out of the ambulance and is like surrounded by people yelling at her. Yes. The chaos. She then went to the bathroom where she found the confronting scene of Mia and Thomas. Ayad was still nearby and shouting. So he was restrained by the police at this point, but he was still close and he was still yelling. And there were also other people shouting, like in the hostel, creating a super chaotic environment. 
Was there only one paramedic? At that point, yes. Because this is a, a rural place with one person mm-hmm. on call. Yes. Yeah. And is Ayad unarmed at this point? I assume so, because he's been handcuffed, so the police would have disarmed him. So okay. he is unlikely to keep injuring people, but he's still close by. Yeah. So that paramedic started assessing Mia and Thomas and was unfortunately unable to find a pulse in either of them. Oh, wow. She found that Thomas had stab wounds to his head and his neck and Mia had stab wounds to her chest. That's um, an interesting place to stab someone in the, f- in the head and neck. Yeah. Okay. So at 11.28pm, so three minutes after the first paramedic got there, the second QAS paramedic arrived. Both paramedics started assessing who they would treat first because they've got two patients here. Both are clearly in a bad state and they need to decide who they'd like to focus on. At the time, it appeared that Mia didn't have extensive blood loss, but it appeared that Thomas had sustained significant blood loss. His injuries were considered incompatible with life, so the paramedics decided to focus on Mia. As CPR was done, it was noticed that Mia's wounds were producing blood and her stomach was becoming distended due to internal bleeding. Three other QAS paramedics then arrived. One of the paramedics assessed Thomas and defibrillator pads confirmed a heart rate of 100 beats per minute. So he was actually still alive. So Mia was declared deceased at the scene at 11.35pm. Thomas was extracted to the air hospital that night and was then transferred to the Townsville Hospital. Uh, So he unfortunately didn't recover from his injuries and he died on the 29th of August. Six days after the attack. Mia's autopsy showed four stab wounds to the head, neck and abdomen and two superficial cuts on her as well. The pathologist found that the stab wound to the left breast was likely the fatal wound as it penetrated the heart. Thomas's autopsy showed 12 stab wounds to the head, neck, chest and abdomen. The pathologist found that the stab wound to the left side of the skull, which penetrated the brain, was the cause of death. And I assume he never regained consciousness after the attack. No, because that stab wound to the left side of his head severed part of his brainstem. So Ayad was placed into custody in the air watch house that night and was then transferred to the air hospital for assessment. It was documented that he was having paranoid thoughts with no insight into the events that had occurred. Early the next day, he was transferred to the Townsville Hospital where he remained in hospital before being transferred to the Townsville Correctional Centre the day after. So was went to the watch house initially, then went to Air Hospital, and then went to Townsville Hospital for more assessment. Ayad was charged with multiple offences, including the murder of both Mia and Thomas. On the 8th of September 2016, so I guess a couple of weeks after the incident, Ayad was transferred to a high-security inpatient unit at a Brisbane-based mental health service where he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, major depressive episode, and cannabis dependence. So all criminal charges were referred to the mental health court. On the 5th of April 2018, so almost two years after this happened, the mental health court found that Ayad was of unsound mind at the time of the attacks, and that discontinued all criminal charges against him. So that meant that he couldn't be prosecuted for the deaths, and he wouldn't be charged criminally for them. 
They also made a forensic order that meant he was readmitted to the high security inpatient unit at a Brisbane hospital on the 8th of April 2018. I couldn't quite find out where he was in between there, but potentially he was there the whole time or was potentially maybe he went back to a correctional centre. You would think he'd still be in the company because, yeah, yeah. He, would still, he was still charged with those offences up until that point. So I assume he was still in custody, just not potentially not in a mental health facility. Or maybe those orders just were like more formally confirmed through that order as well. Yeah, that he was going to stay. Yeah, stay in that mental health facility. So the coroner stated that an inquest would not be held into the deaths of Mia and Thomas, as it wouldn't yield any further information to arrive at a different conclusion or make any recommendations to prevent similar deaths from happening. Because this was an individual who had paranoid schizophrenia and for whatever reason that night something happened and that's what he ended up doing. And yet he couldn't be charged with it because he was of unsound mind time. So the concerns of Mia and Thomas's parents, which prompted their request for an inquest, included general concerns about the hotel industry and the working visa framework. So in that people on working visas were potentially vulnerable to financial exploitation that can stop them from moving on from a place if they felt unsafe. Because of that working arrangement between the hostel and the farm, if you don't feel safe at the hostel, can't necessarily move because you need your work at the farm. And I mean, that's that seemed evident with Ayad, right? In terms of he didn't move mm-hmm. on because he didn't want to lose his working option. So potentially this wouldn't have happened if he had have left the hostel. Because it, ha- it happened the day after he said he wanted to leave. Yeah. So potentially he had some insight into what was happening in terms of how he was feeling the day before and wanted to remove himself from the situation, but it ended up being that he couldn't because otherwise he'd lose his job. Yeah. The other general concerns they had were hostels promoting accommodation with insufficient employment. So, you know, a hostel could say, yeah, we know we've got vacancies, come stay with us. And then when you get there, there's actually no farms in the area that are looking for work. So then you're sort of stuck there with no work while still needing to pay for your stay. Also that the safety needs of occupants were overridden by the commercial function of the hostel, which again goes back to that. You know, they need people to be staying at their hostel for them to make money as a business. And potentially there's some issues with safety around that. Mm -hmm. So the first three general concerns that they had sort of about the hotel industry and working visas and that sort of thing were not investigated by the coroner. Because there was an inquiry by the Fair Work Ombudsman from 2013 to 2018 around workplace arrangements for backpackers and travellers and accommodation providers. So because there was already that was already going on, the coroner didn't find that it was necessary that he went into that as well. The other concerns were whether there was any information about mental health services available for travellers. So because you're an international traveller, do they necessarily have the information about where to access healthcare and mental health care as well. Especially if you're in like a rural location as well where it's mm-hmm. not as easy. Like, you know, if you're in Brisbane or a bigger city, getting to a health service is going to be 
much simpler or more available versus if you're out rurally in a remote location, even finding that kind of service might be hundreds, thousands of kilometers away, depending on how yeah. rural you are. And certainly being rural can be much more isolating and hence also trigger much more mental health concerns as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mia and Thomas's parents also wanted to know why was someone who had paranoid schizophrenia allowed into the country? Mm-hmm. You know, were there any checks that were done? And so the coroner found that all of the necessary checks which were done within Australia and through Interpol confirmed that he had no recorded criminal history. So this is not something that had happened before for him in terms of like he's, he'd never been charged with any criminal offence, had no criminal history. Potentially he had a diagnosis before he came to Australia, but he'd never been involved in any sort of violent incident. Right. And he's never owned up to having had a diagnosis before. It's not really known. I don't think that Ayad was interviewed. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Is that something that they check when they're doing visas? Do they ask about mental health history or just criminal history? I think potentially it's just criminal history. Interesting. Yeah, I know when I've had a trouble in internationally and needed a visa I've never I've only ever had to do criminal history checks I've never had to do any other medical checks and about the other concern they had about mental health services the coroner found that Ayad had previously gone to a doctor about a back injury that happened when he was working so he was aware of the medical services nearby Uh, and additionally Home Hill is quite close to Townsville which has both medical and mental health services so even though it's you know, a small town, it is still close to Townsville and there would still be the opportunity to get medical help, both in Home Hill and in Townsville. So the coroner sort of ruled that out as being an issue. And he also said that there's consular assistance for travellers. If they need to find services that they can't find themselves, they're able to, you know, talk to their consulate and get help from them. So he's a French national and he's now in an institution in Australia. Yep. Did it have any mention of what that means in terms of does he remain in Australia indefinitely while he's receiving mental health care? Does he need to go back to France? Do we know what his outcome is? Yeah, so I don't think anything's known at this point. So he's still, as of the inquest in June of 2020, Yep, he was still an inpatient at that treatment facility in Brisbane and is apparently responding to the treatment he's getting. It's proposed that he'll be sent back to France, but the coroner said that the final decision will be with the Australian Border Force. So it'll be up to Australia to decide whether he stays here or whether he goes back to France. But when he is sent back there, he will continue to receive treatment in a French medical facility. And imagine he's got to be medically stable, right? Like you'd want him to be in a good place before you're suddenly getting him on a flight across the world. Exactly. But it's also interesting you say that he'll get the necessary medical treatment while he's over in France, which is fine. But in Australia, he might be detained for the rest of his life because of the attacks. But obviously, all nations have their own sovereignty. So it doesn't necessarily mean that France will carry out whatever Australia has decided in terms of him. It'll be interesting. It becomes tricky when it becomes international in terms of... But the issue over in France is they obviously can't retrial him in France and get another outcome in their jurisdiction. Yeah. It hasn't happened in their jurisdiction, so the only thing they've got is 
Australia and their orders. So whether they carry it out, they definitely don't have to. If they I don't think want they to. would have him assessed to decide whether or not he needs to stay as an inpatient or whether he has responded to treatment. It's so difficult because obviously people who have mental health issues, like it's not something they can control, obviously. And if they're medicated and they're okay to go back into the community, but it's also just so sad to know that this person took two people's lives completely unprovoked. And so that I just often find hard to reconcile in these sorts of cases that yes, I know it's not the perpetrator's fault often because of issues beyond their control, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that two people were killed. But he was—he wasn't on medications. How can you blame them? Is there a victim in a way as well? It's just yeah, hard, hard for me to wrap my head around sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is a rare kind of schizophrenia though as well. That there would be an unprovoked attack is my understanding. Mm. I is going to have to live with that fact, and it's going to be dependent on how stable his mental health is as to his insight into that. At the yep. moment, he may still be so unstable that he has no insight into the fact that he committed these acts, but That's true. eventually he may get to the point where he understands that and that, that also is going to be really horrific for him to process as well mm. Mm. and for these poor families as Yeah, well. especially because they were overseas when they died, so mm. their parents having to find out about it that you know, they were so far away, it's not like they could be with them. Obviously, gap years and overseas working holidays are relatively promoted, or at least they were uh, pre-2020. We won't talk about that. But there was a lot of education around making sure you're in safe situations. Mm-hmm. Don't put yourself into situations that are going to be high risk. But these two individuals were staying at a hostel mm-hmm. with people they knew, working, employed, doing what sounded like relatively safe activities internationally as well. So their families would have thought they were in a relatively good position Mm. to just live and work. And so to end up in such a horrendous outcome uh, seemed uh, very unexpected. It's sad and you're right. Like Australia has got a pretty poor history in terms of backpackers, but it's generally, as you say, when they're engaging in more high-risk activities like hitchhiking and things like that, not when they're in a hostel working yeah yeah because i had obviously been there for a little while it's not like he had just arrived and then this happened like mia and i had been staying in the same room for a little while and everything had been okay she also had that same issue as i had had though that if she had been feeling unsafe she couldn't have easily up and left if she risked not having enough income to sustain or support her movement yeah, and like even like potentially there were just no rooms available, no other beds available. And yeah, even if she had moved rooms, she would have still been staying in the same hostel. Yeah. If she'd wanted to then go to a different hostel because she didn't feel comfortable or safe in that one anymore, she would have lost her employment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, right. I think it was known that Mia was a little bit uneasy around him, but her friend who she was also in the room with was like, oh no, he was fine. Whether that's just, that's two different perceptions yeah and it may have been very quick in terms of that mental health deterioration as mm. well that he it may have happened in a in a series of days that he may yeah have, that's right he certainly managed to function in the hostel for six months without significant incident and attend work and be employed yeah so that mental health deterioration may have been quite rapid 
Yeah, and it does seem that like he was sort of okay up until the day before, but now is so unwell that he's still been in a mental health institution for what two years with treatment and still not suitable for community release. That's really devastating for him as well that they can't get it so well controlled that he can get back to living a normal life. Not that his yeah. life will ever be normal. There's still going to be some consequence for his action, even mm. if he wasn't responsible for it. Yeah, It's sad that his health is still not what it was before. Mm. So yeah, even though that was a non-inquest finding, I still thought it was an interesting one, just a bit of an insight into the backpacker culture and the fact that international travel was really common for young people coming to Australia to work and, and live for a little while and that there are still risks associated with that yeah and i mean i'm sure it will become popular again yes more different currently and i guess how do we make that culture safer as you said emma you know not hitchhiking not having those higher risk activities absolutely but certainly does look like some of that culture needs to be adjusted so that there isn't so much dictatory kind of culture around how they employ backpackers yeah for sure and also, like, whether, and I hate saying this because I'm kind of against more stringent rules, but in terms of visas and, and what they ask on visa applications and things, like, I'm obviously not privy to it, so I don't know, but there's potentially some scope there as well in terms of issuing backpacker visas and things like that and how they work from that end, as well as on the ground, employment change and things like that to help with the safety of backpackers who are coming to hopefully enjoy the beautiful country. There's a lot to see and do. And it's just, it's really sad when this kind of thing happens because, you know, we want people to come here and enjoy it and have the time of their lives. So it's really sad that this has happened. Not be fearful of coming to Australia. That's right. Well, thank you. I often don't read the non-inquest ones because I skip over them being like, oh, this isn't going to give me enough information to gain value from it but that one was really interesting it was thanks for listening thanks everyone catch up again next fortnight all right bye bye, bye.